Well, good morning. Good morning. My name is Amber Carroll, and I am one of the pastors here at Hope Covenant Church. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I would like to welcome you this morning. Our, uh, our typical rhythm of preaching and of worship is that we operate often in series where we will have two or three or more weeks on a certain topic, and we'll spend time digging into that. And sometimes the result of that is if you've missed a couple weeks or you've been on vacation, you maybe feel like you come and are out of the loop. Well, uh, today, if you, uh, you're in luck because this is a pastor's preference Sunday. And so I'm going to be delivering a message this morning that God's laid on my heart, and I believe that this message is for you. I believe it's for each and every one of you in this room, no matter your age or stage in life. And uh, because all of us experience, at times, frustration with God and unanswered prayers and feeling sometimes that God just isn't paying attention, this is a common experience that we have together. And I think we need comfort, that we don't need to lose faith when we experience this. So today, we're going to begin with a question that all of us have asked at one point in our life or another, and the question is this, why doesn't God do something about that blank? Fill in the blank. Why doesn't God do something about that? Now, the interesting thing about that, that fill in the blank, is that you don't have to think very hard to come up with that blank, right? I mean, all of you can come up with something in your head to answer that question. God, why don't you do something about that? Some of you are sitting next to that. Um, For some of you, that is at home. For some of you, you work for that. For some of you, you work with that. But then there are the more serious stuff like illness, Maybe it's a prodigal son or a daughter or a granddaughter or a grandson. Maybe there's financial struggle. There are things going on in the world that John mentioned this morning and with immigration and border wars and human trafficking and poverty and hunger. And uh, we wonder, God, why don't you do something about that? And when you're in a situation where you are desperately wanting God to do something about whatever it is, and especially when it's personal, it's a big deal, right? It matters to us. And here's the beautiful thing, church, as we, those in this room who claim Jesus as our Lord and Savior, you can maintain, maintain your faith and you can continue to believe and press on even though there are some things we just don't understand why God doesn't do something about. Now, the powerful thing is that Jesus, rather than simply teach on the subject, actually created a moment in which some people would say and did say, why doesn't God do something about that? And then he didn't do something about it. So that we would know how to respond when God seems to be late in dealing with something we're facing. In other words, Jesus created his own drama so that he could explain to us that you can believe even when you look around and wonder why God hasn't shown up. Why is God late? This story is found in John chapter 11, and if you brought a Bible, you could turn to that now. Uh, We will have it up on the screens. And Brent, I will lead us in that, so don't try, you don't have to worry about anticipating 
me, okay? So, um, but we will have it up on the, on the screens. And if you brought your Bible, there's a heading um, right before chapter 11. I want you to ignore the heading because if you've grown up in the church and you've learned the stories of Jesus and in the Bible, you would read this and go, oh, I already know this story and I know how it ends. And so I want to ask you to read it uh, along with us and enter into this story as though it were the first time today. Because when John wrote this, the people he was writing to, they didn't know this story. They didn't know how it would end. And there is so much to it. There is so much drama. There is so much meaning and emotion. And you and I are in this story. All of us have had times in our lives when we feel like God is either inattentive, uncooperative, or late. And uh, what we're talking about is not very emotionally satisfying. I mean, nobody leaves messages like this and says, I feel so much better about the junk in my life. This isn't a, like, feel better about it message. Um, This is just about those dark moments when you feel like you are hanging on by a thread, and you're wondering, can I actually trust God? Can I continue to trust that God is actually involved in my circumstances? And this is a message about discovering that God allowed people that he loved so very much, people he loved so very much. He allowed them to experience similar things to what you've experienced And he was still God, and he still loved them, and he still loves and cares about each and every one of you. And that's good news, isn't it? So let's go to John chapter 11, and let's try to experience this for the first time together. So I'm going to walk through the story and and kind of uh, dig in a little deeper throughout the verses. So uh, we can start now. Uh, Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Now John clarifies who Mary was. Uh, That might not mean a lot to us, but in the first century when people heard this, they went, oh, that Mary, that's the one. They knew the story of her pouring the perfume on Jesus' feet. And it continues, it says, so the sister sent word to Jesus and they sent word to Jesus. Um, they, uh, they know Jesus isn't that far. He's about a day and a half away, walking distance from where they're at. And the message they sent was, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, obviously, we know Jesus loves everybody. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves me. But Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus so much that all they had to do was say, hey, Jesus, the one you love is sick. And he would know. That's a lot of love. And again, they sent this message to Jesus because they've seen Jesus heal strangers. They've they've seen Jesus stand in the hot sun and lines and lines of people and healing people and healing people. So this is the one that Jesus loved. So they sent him the message a day and a half away. And when he heard this, Jesus says, this sickness will not end in death. No. And then Jesus creates a new category for us. He says, no, it, the sickness, is for God's glory. The sickness is for God's glory. The financial struggle, the loss, the death is for God's glory. But sickness is supposed to be a bad thing. Struggle is supposed to be bad. God says, no, this sickness is 
for God's glory so that my son may be glorified through it. So Jesus is presenting a new way of thinking. He's about to give us light in our darkness and hope where we don't think there's any hope. And John, who's writing this story, realizes that it's about to take a confusing turn. And so before he tells us what happens next, he gives us a really critical piece of information. And he says, now, again, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So why are you telling us that, John? Like, John's going, ah, because you are not going to believe what happens. You're not going to believe what happens next. Based on what happens next in this story, the reader could easily conclude that Jesus didn't love Lazarus, and Jesus didn't love Martha, and Jesus didn't love Mary. And so John's thinking, I just need to let you know that Jesus didn't just like them. He liked them. He didn't just know them, but he loved them. He loved Lazarus. Because when Jesus heard, in in verse 6, he said, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. So that, like, wait, John, you just said Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. You know, even if he didn't love Lazarus and he just loved Mary and Martha, and they said, hey, Jesus, help us. Surely he would, like, go and help them. Or even if he didn't love Mary and Martha and he loved Lazarus and he hears that Lazarus is sick and he's taking all this time to heal all these people, surely the guy he loves, he's going to rush back and heal him. But he stays put for two more days. I would be so mad at John if he stayed put for two more days. That John? And then he said to his disciples, after two days, after two days of being there, he said, let us go back to Judea. Let us head back toward Bethany. <clears throat> and so the, the disciples, they enter the story. They say, but Rabbi, uh, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there, they tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? So the implication here, Jesus, <laughs> yeah, uh, you may have forgotten, but you see, when the Jews try to stone you, sometimes they miss you and they hit us, and we really don't like the pain, and so you sure you want to go back? toward Judea, because the Jews, I mean, they're waiting on you. And they weren't so concerned about Jesus. They're really concerned about themselves. And apparently, they've forgotten about Lazarus by now. And Jesus says, hey, let's head back to Judea. And he said, so then Jesus answers. And this, I would have just loved to have walked around with Jesus. He said, are there not 12 hours of daylight? It always, it's like so random. These disciples all the time were like, what? What are you talking about, 12 hours of daylight? We're, like, talking about travel, and, and uh, Jesus says, yeah, but aren't there 12 hours of daylight? And in this moment, he does some teaching because, again, they have no idea what he's talking about. But when you get to the end of the story and you go back and you read the whole book of John, it's evident what Jesus is saying to them. So he says, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they... See by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. And it's so profound and so important because when Jesus says there's 12 hours of daylight, what he's talking about is opportunity. That's every half day when the sun is up, there's an opportunity to do something. And when it's dark, the opportunity goes away. And Jesus is saying to this group, he's saying, you know, you can't stay here I mean, you can if you want, but I'm not going to be here very long. 
Eventually, I'm going to leave this earth, and when I leave, you will be left with darkness. The light will go out, except for the light that I will give you. And so Jesus is like, you know, you need to learn everything you can. Get off of your butt. Follow me to Judea. I know you're afraid. I know you're concerned about what's going to happen to you. But if you don't come, if you don't take the opportunity in the daylight, you are going to miss the opportunity of a lifetime. And this is, I'm making this up. It's not really in there. But that's what I'm thinking. I mean, he's like, what are, you know, he's like, I, the, what I'm going to give you, the light I'm going to show you is going to serve you for the rest of your life. That's my commentary, not his. So then he says, really, um, after he said this, um, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And the disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. And again, their concern isn't Lazarus. They don't want to face the stoning that they might be facing. But Jesus had been speaking of his death, and his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then Jesus says something what seems really insensitive, but he turns to his disciples and he said very plainly, Lazarus is dead. He's not sleeping, he's dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. I think that's like really harsh. Like, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. And I'm thinking, in their heads, they're must be like, wait a second, Jesus, you knew Lazarus would die and you stayed here two more days on purpose? And Jesus is like, yeah. And you're glad you weren't there to save the one you love? Like, Lazarus, we all know, like, you love him. And Jesus is like, yeah. And I think they're thinking, okay, Jesus, so what could be so important to you that you would allow the one you love to die? Like, what would be so important? And then he says this, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So, and then let's just get this straight. Jesus, you would allow someone to die so that we would believe? So we would have some sort of like full, like grown-up faith in you? We would finally get this? And he's thinking, yeah, yeah, I would. And I think that's like a new category for us. I think that kind of wrecks some of our theology because somehow we have embraced this whole name it, claim it uh, idea that if I have enough faith or if I pray hard enough or if I'm obedient enough or I go to church enough, or I lead enough small groups and Bible studies and say the right things, God will show up and address all of my challenges in a timely manner and I will have prosperity and I will be blessed and happy. But when I read this, the word of God, that's not really the promises that we see, right? And yet Jesus created a situation so that we could understand what God is doing when God doesn't do what we think God ought to do and when we think God ought to do it. And this next part is kind of funny. I, I find it funny. You remember Winnie the Pooh? Okay, Eeyore, right? You remember him, Eeyore? It's all going to be bad. You most likely have one of those in your family or friend in your friend group. Maybe you married an Eeyore. Uh, everything's negative. Everything's bad. They immediately think of the worst case situation. Well, Jesus had an Eeyore in his group of disciples. In 16, it said, Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Well, let us also go so we may die with him. 
Lazarus is dead, the Jews are dead, or the Jews are going to stone Jesus, they're going to stone us, it's going to be a massive funeral, but come on, woohoo, let's go. I don't know, I just think that's funny. It's like, wait, Jesus, let's go. Um, okay, so then he says, um, <clears throat> well, before I get there, um, on, his, uh, on his arrival, when Jesus got there, he found uh, Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So they sent word. It took about a day and a half to get to Jesus. He stayed two days. And um, so he's been in there for four days. And uh, I want to think for just a minute what was happening while, uh, during this four-day four period of time. You know, Lazarus is dying, and he doesn't have morphine. Um, he doesn't have any drugs. He doesn't have external aid. He doesn't, they don't even really know what he's dying of. And they sent a message to Jesus, and please hear this. To some extent, you can imagine yourself in this because in your life, maybe you've had your own version of this. Mary and Martha, in the days prior, you know, imagine they're kneeling down beside Lazarus and they're wiping the sweat off of his brow and they're going, don't worry, Lazarus, Jesus is coming. Don't worry, we called for Jesus. The messenger came back, told Jesus, we know he's coming. They'll be here and, and, and I can see Mary, they say, okay, Mary, now you go down, stand at the end of the road and tell us when Jesus comes and then, and then come back and we'll t- he'll take care of our brother. Or, or, the, or I'll go stand by the road and then just tell people he's coming. They don't need to worry. We've seen him heal strangers, and we've seen him heal Gentiles and people who are part of the Roman Empire for Pete's sake. We have absolute faith Jesus will be here. And they waited, and they waited, and the community waited, and the community watched, and, and uh, Jesus didn't show up, and Lazarus died. And the community says, Mary, Martha, we have to bury your brother. And they're like, we can't bury him. We know Jesus, he'll be here. We sent a message. We know he got it. Why wouldn't he be here? He'll be here. And the community says, hey, Mary, Martha, like, we got to bury your brother. And so they they wrapped him uh, like they would wrap Jesus not long after the story. And they put him in a tomb and they rolled the stone in front of it. And they probably sealed it, and they began the process of mourning the loss of their brother. And there was still no Jesus. Isn't that where we live sometimes? Isn't it our experience that at times God seems inattentive, disinterested, late? You think, I thought you cared about me, God. Where were you? You know, Jesus created this situation, this story in Lazarus, so that we could carry hope into our futures. You, me, we needed Lazarus to die. So it says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Four days is important in this story. In the first century, they believed that the spirit of a person hovered over a dead body for three days. And when the face began to change, because it, what happens to a body when it begins to decompose, exposed to air, it begins to change. They believe that after three days, the spirit would leave and not inhabit the body. It would look at the body and realize, I can't re-inhabit that. 
And so it would laugh. So Jesus, four days later, in other words, there was no hope, even in their superstitious culture, that Jesus, that this guy was just sick, um, that he could even come back to life. He'd already been in the tomb for four days. And can you imagine how embarrassing it was for the disciples to follow Jesus into Bethany? Everybody staring, thinking, what an insult. You didn't even rescue the one you love. You didn't even come to their funeral. You have a nerve to set foot into this town. This is uh, verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. I think Mary stayed home because she was mad. I, I think she was thinking, you could have Jesus. You should have, and you didn't. We gave you every opportunity. We see you love strangers, you love Romans, but what about us? Where were you? It says, when Martha heard this, Jesus was coming, she went out, Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, Lord, if you had been here, and we say that to God, don't we? Like, if you would have showed up or answered my prayer or my prayer requests, Martha says, my brother would not have died. This is your fault, God. Jesus, this is your doing. If you would have been here, this wouldn't happen. And then she says, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And listen to Jesus' response. He said, Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know. I know, I know. It's that, it's that moment when people try to comfort you and they say, oh, he's been in a better place or she's in a better place and you'll see him again. And so I think Martha's going, Jesus, he's giving her some theological spiel and, and she's like, I know, he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. She's probably thinking, don't give me a theological lesson. I know we're all gonna be resurrected. You keep talking about that, but he, you should have been here. You should have fixed this. You could have fixed it. And I think Jesus looks at this angry, confused, emotional Martha who he loved, and she loved her brother, and she thought she knew Jesus. And he says to her what he says to you, and he says to me, and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, you think resurrection is is an event, and it is. You think resurrection is the future, and it is. But Martha... I am present. I am resurrection and life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asks the question that I think he asks each and every one of us in this room. It's a question that was reasonable when you were, uh, or is easy to believe when you were six. Reasonable to believe when you were 12. Maybe got a little more difficult to believe when you were 22 years old or 35 or 45 or when you're about to bury someone you love or watching someone you love suffer or you just went through the most difficult period of your life. And he looks her in the eyes and he asks this question, do you believe this? I am the resurrection and life. Do you believe this? Martha, with all that you know, even believing that I could have kept this from happening, do you still trust me? 
Do you still believe I am who you thought I was, even though I have not acted the way you thought I should act? And Martha says, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And she runs back and says, Mary, you got to come see the master before he gets into town. And so Mary runs out there, and she has basically the identical conversation with Jesus. Why didn't you get here? You could have stopped this. And so then John tells us in verse 33, he says, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And then he asks this question. He says, where have you laid him? They say, come and see, Lord, they replied. And either on the way or once he arrived at the tomb, John records for us something that's astounding. He records something for us that helps us understand that when you are going through the most difficult time in your life, even even though God could have, would have, and should have, when he chooses not to, It's not because he's distant or unattentive or doesn't care. It's that God has the ability to enter into your deepest pain, even when he chooses to do nothing about it. And Jesus, knowing exactly what was about to transpire, knowing exactly how the story would end, John records that Jesus wept. It's as if he said, I'm not too big to understand. I'm not too distant. I'm not too almighty. That when you suffer and when you hurt and when you don't understand and when you feel abandoned and you feel left by God, it's as if God leans into your world and says, I know. Me too. I understand. And in 36, says the Jews said what we might say, See how he loved him? Even he's standing outside the tomb and mourning his friend. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Why didn't he do something about that? In 38, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb, and it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. Now, They weren't expecting this. They were already confused. Lazarus was dead, completely dead. He was gone. They would see him someday after some resurrection that nobody understood because it hadn't happened yet, and Jesus keeps talking about this. And Jesus says, I want you to remove the stone. I love Martha. She says, "Uh, but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. And I think she's maybe sarcastic or maybe just in her grief, just twisting the knife a little, like you didn't show up for four days after the funeral. And then Jesus says to her, I'm here. And he says, he says to her, I think he says to you and me, he says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? If you keep your eyes open, if you continue to trust me, if you continue to believe, you will catch a glimpse of my glory even in the midst of your most difficult times. So in 41, it says, they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they 
may believe that you sent me. Jesus says, it's all about you, God. I am only here to reflect you. And I'm about to reflect you in a big way. So when he says this in verse 33, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. It says the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them around, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Do you know why Jesus had to say, tell them to take off the grave clothes and let him go? Because I'm thinking it was making a move towards Lazarus. They're like, what just happened? This guy's walking around. He's dead. He's like a mummy. Like, no way. Are you kidding me? I think Jesus like smiles. Someone go help him. He's alive. This says, therefore, many Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did and believed in him. Oh, I bet they did. After that, that story spread like wildfire. And he didn't just heal somebody and raise somebody from the dead who have maybe been asleep or unconscious or passed out. This guy had been dead for four days in the tomb. There's nothing this Jesus can't do. So here's the question. In your life, why doesn't God do something about that thing? Why doesn't God do something about that thing that is causing you pain or struggle or stress, you know, the answer is, you know, we don't know sometimes. We just don't know. But here's what we do know. We know he can, and we know sometimes he waits. And if he waits, we know we can trust him in the meantime. And we know we can trust him because he made the promise that if we believe, you will see God's glory. If you believe, you continue to trust and maintain hope in the midst of the worst of the worst. In the midst of a situation you have no explanation for, that God is able and God is willing to leverage that for his glory and for the glory of his son and for your good if you continue to trust him. See, it's not emotionally satisfying, you know, It's not a pretty bow on the end of a story. But it's the thing that God has given us to hold on to in the midst of those dark times. It was a light of hope that he handed the disciples because he knew the time would come when they would watch him be arrested and tried. And they would watch him hang on that cross and die. And God would do nothing to stop it. There would be no hope. They would watch him take his last breath. And yet they would remember later. Why would God allow this? We don't know. But we do know that God could do something about it. And we know that sometimes he waits. And we know that we can believe in the meantime. And if I continue to believe and I continue to trust And those around me who are watching, and and church, brothers, sisters in Christ, people are always watching you. They're always watching you. Maybe they will catch a glimpse of the glory of God in the midst of what you're going through. 
even when you are convinced that God might be late. We look for the glory of God in the midst of it, and we will eventually see it, and that is our promise. Let us pray. Oh, loving God, we thank you so much for this story. We thank you for giving us a glimpse of your glory. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your word that was written for us. God, we don't understand oftentimes why this or that happens. Right now in this room, there are people who are hurting, who are watching people they love hurt, who turn on the news and their hearts are broken for what is happening to your people in this world. And God, we don't understand, but God, we trust you and we love you. And God, there is light. You are the light of the world. Thank you for giving us your light and hope for a future. Thank you for equipping us to be your hands and feet, to bring a light into this dark world. God, there is opportunity all around us to be your hands and feet, to love those around us. This morning, God, I ask that you send your healing power of your Holy Spirit in in the hearts of those who are hurting and in so need of you. For the questions that are just burning in our hearts, we don't know why, why, God, you're not answering this prayer. We just lift it to you, God. Give us the power and the faith to believe you, that you are with us and you will never forsake us. And Lord, you know the hearts of those in this room. You know there are people in this room in this very moment who have not yet claimed you as their Lord and Savior. There are people who have been holding on. God, they're not quite sure. And uh, God, I just want to say, move in their hearts today. If you are in this room today, God, and we know you are, we ask you to do a mighty work. In your precious and holy name we pray, amen. If you are someone in this room today and you haven't had that moment where you have given your life to God, it is never too late that you can do that today. Following Jesus, he is here for all of us. All you have to do is say, I believe in you, Jesus. I believe you are who you say you are. And I want to make you the Lord of my life. And you can do that today. One of the ways we experience the glory of God and the grace of God